I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast contains sensitive topics and discussions. Listener discretion is advised. After a fatal car crash, investigators find evidence that this tragedy may have actually held a deadly motive. This is the Mackenzie Sherilla story. Megan, this case was recommended by a lot of listeners, but one very special listener in particular. Okay. Teresa M., who was one of our very first Patreon supporters. Do you remember? Of course. I'm glad you're covering a case that she suggested. I don't know if you remember this, Megan, but she was one of like two or three people at one of our first Zoom happy hours. I absolutely remember. It's so funny when you said um, a special supporter. I was like, oh, is this going to be Jeff, Amy's father? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's a supporter anymore. Oh, never. Yes, he never renewed. Oh, well, you should write him one of those follow-ups and find out what his reason was. Yes. Anyway, that's very cool that uh, Teresa, yes, one of our literally first supporters. Yes, and we haven't seen her in a while. So, Teresa, we we miss you. (laughs) Come to one of our virtual meetups. We would love to see you again. Before we get into today's case, we have to stress that this case is extremely polarizing. I'm assuming you know about this case. I have never even heard of it. That's not true. Once you hear about the facts of the case, it'll sound familiar. Okay. Really? So far, nothing. It's registering nothing. So Really? That's very interesting because yeah. in my world, it was so spoken about that I wasn't going to cover it. But the reason I did was because Teresa suggested, and it is also extremely interesting, But regardless, we're going to do our best as always to be objective and consider all explanations. And as always, we look forward to hearing your thoughts on this case, because like I said, it is quite polarizing. It seems equal amount of people believe one theory over the other. It's quite a buildup, Amy. I hope you can deliver. 
We'll see. All right, let's meet Mackenzie. Mackenzie Sharilla was born in 2004 to parents Stephen and Natalie Sharilla. They lived in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio called Strongville. I was able to find that her father worked at a local news station for many years, and then he worked as an art teacher. And being that there's so little information, it's hard to know exactly what Mackenzie's upbringing was like. But according to court reports, the Sharillas filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy on May 19th, 2002. The reason I mentioned this, Megan, is it's about only two months before the events that we're about to discuss today. So at least we can maybe draw from that that there were some stressors in the family around this time. Okay. At this time, 17-year-old Mackenzie was dating a 20-year-old man named Dominic Russo. Both of them still lived with their parents, but there are many reports that Mackenzie actually was living with Dominic's family on a fairly permanent basis. And as you would expect, she was very close with them. I don't know if this was because the two were inseparable or maybe this was due to some of the financial troubles going on in the Shrilla family. Either way, the couple had been together on and off for about three years by July of 2022. In the very early morning hours of July 31st, 2022, this is sometime around 2 a.m. or so, Mackenzie and Dominic were hanging out with their 19-year-old friend, Davion Flanagan. Mackenzie had drove the trio to a mutual friend's house where they all smoked marijuana and just hung out. After hanging out for a while, the three of them got into Mackenzie's 2018 Toyota Camry and drove away. It's unsure where they were exactly headed, but security cameras showed the car turn from Pearl Road in Strongsville onto Alameda Drive, which was a dead-end street that led into an industrial office complex. Around 5.30 a.m., surveillance videos showed Mackenzie's car speeding down the dead-end street. And Megan, it was heading straight towards a brick building with no indication of slowing down. Her car then crashed head-on into the side of a brick building. Oh my gosh, were they all in the car? I mean, you said surveillance caught it. Did they catch anyone getting out? Like, what do we know here? So at this point, surveillance videos did catch the car making the turn onto that street. And you could see how fast the car is going as it's headed down that street. But the actual crash itself is not fully caught on camera. However, you do see almost like off-frame a little bit of like you know, the aftermath of a crash, like almost like an explosion. And you can definitely hear it. Oh, an explosion? You know, like a crash, like a... Yeah, 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 I understand. Okay. Now, it wouldn't be until 45 minutes later, around 6.15 a.m., when a passerby saw the crashed car and called 911. But while emergency personnel rushed to the scene, unfortunately, both Dominic and Davion were deceased on arrival. Okay, so Mackenzie's not in the car. Mackenzie was driving the car and she was actually alive. Okay. I mean, looking at the wreckage, it's absolutely amazing that there were any survivors at all. You know, she was unconscious and she was trapped inside of the vehicle and they had to extract her, but she was still breathing. Okay. Her injuries looked pretty severe at this time and she was immediately taken to the hospital. And at this point, no one was really sure if she would survive. However, Mackenzie ended up only being in the hospital for a short time. I'm not sure what her actual injuries were. I could not find any of the specifics, aside from the fact that she was in a wheelchair for a few months after she was released from the hospital. But it seems, at least on the outside, that she made a full recovery and was able to go back to living her normal life. Uh, Two things really quick. Sometimes you look up a photo while I'm describing something. I just saw a photo of the car. It's unbelievable that she survived. Yeah, That's the first thing. Second of all, I totally know this case now. I knew you did. I mean, you yeah, probably don't. I do. You definitely don't know everything because I thought I knew the case too. But no. as always, once you start researching it, but I knew you knew. I feel like yeah, you spoke yeah. about this case at some point. I- I'm sure we have. The name just didn't ring a bell, but now I know the case. Okay. Okay. Once Mackenzie was home, she posted pictures of Dominic on her social media accounts and wrote many tributes to him. 
she was grieving the loss of her boyfriend. She would state how much she missed him and how she kept expecting him to call her or, or to just walk through the door. People were also posting tributes for Davion as well. You know, this was a tragedy all around. These two boys were taken way too soon. Meanwhile, of course, the police were investigating the cause of the crash. They wanted to find out what happened. Was this a vehicle malfunction, perhaps? Or was there something more sinister going on here? So first, the police analyzed that surveillance video that I mentioned. And they also had a forensic mechanic come in who found that the car's event recorder showed that the accelerator pedal was pushed down at full capacity and there was absolutely no application of the brakes at all as the car sped towards that brick wall. They were also able to determine that the car hit the building going almost 100 miles per hour. I mean, that just indicates that she's speeding up as quickly as possible, like not bracing for impact. It, it, I mean, that doesn't look good for her. Yeah, this is definitely the first time people are starting to question exactly what happened, because I think up to this point, it just seemed to be a tragic accident. But no car should ever be going 100 miles per hour, first of all. Second of all, now they're able to tell that someone's foot was on the accelerator the whole time. Coupled with information on Mackenzie and Dominic's relationship, police now strongly believe that Mackenzie had purposely crashed her car into the side of that building to kill her boyfriend and possibly herself too, and Davion just happened to be there. Ugh. They were breaking up, or I, I do remember something about this. And I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there was messaging to the effect of, if you leave me, I might do something horrible. Yeah, there, there were definitely some indications of a troubled relationship. You know, as I mentioned, Mackenzie was mostly living with Dominic's family and Dominic's mother said that the couple fought often and that there had been threats between the two of them. Mm. In addition, Angelo, Dominic's brother, said that the couple broke up often and they would then get back together, saying that he witnessed a lot of negative behavior and saying that like Mackenzie just wasn't fair to him. So it doesn't sound like he really approved of this relationship. And Dominic's older sisters had similar feelings saying that while she didn't witness any fights between the two, she would often hear from Dominic's friends that they were not completely surprised that Mackenzie did something so drastic because they knew her to be volatile and they knew her to be violent with Dominic and it was only a matter of time. It's such a shame when there's these red flags that you hear about, but were there any other specific incidents that led up to this one? Any other you know, acts of violence or something that might have foreshadowed this? Yeah, actually, just two weeks before the crash on July 17th, 2022, apparently Mackenzie was driving with Dominic and they got into a pretty big argument in the car. At one point, Mackenzie threatened to crash the car with Dominic in it. Now, Dominic had called his mom to pick him up during this fight, but she was unable to get there. So he then called a friend to pick him up. Now, this friend says that while on the phone with Dominic, he heard Mackenzie saying, quote, I will crash this car right now. Does this weigh a lot to you? I'm not sure of the strength of this. When you have teenagers that are in these highly emotional relationships, like they, I feel like I remember being a teenager and people say things like this, like when they're very angry. Yes. Remember when I said, though, like I remember there was something said about or there was something indicating that she was going to do something horrible like this. That's what I'm thinking of, because I remember the specific threat of crashing the car. Mm hmm. So, I mean, I I definitely I'm sure I've heard teenagers or you would hear teenagers get really heated and say something like this. But in this case, she actually did crash the car later. So is that in hindsight, though? Yeah, it's in hindsight. But does it substantiate the claims that her claims that, you know, it, she was being truthful, that she was going to do something like that? Yeah. Or 
Is it something else? I don't know. So far, the information about her is is not great. I don't see an innocent explanation right now. Okay. So this friend got to where the couple was because he was going to pick up Dominic. And he says that when he got there, Mackenzie was standing outside of the door, striking Dominic with both hands. So this is clearly abuse. And I wish the friend would have reported it. But unfortunately, I'm not blaming this friend for anything that happened afterwards. But of course, this is when we say, if you see something, say something, right? At this point, Dominic did get up and he left with the friend. Then there was a second incident that took place later that month. And this is a few days before the fatal crash. Mackenzie and Dominic had gotten into an argument and Dominic actually recorded Mackenzie yelling, degrading comments at him and threatening him. Now, the video that he took on his cell phone showed that he was in his home and Mackenzie was at his front door. And he clearly did not feel comfortable letting her inside. You could hear her pounding on the door and screaming at him. At this point, she threatened to key his car and break off the door handle and even told him that if he didn't open the door, there was going to be a problem. The video would end with Dominic calling his mother to come help him calm down Mackenzie. Now, regardless of what we think about this, to the police, this was enough evidence for an arrest. And this is around four months after the accident when the Strongville Police Department arrested Mackenzie Sherilla for vehicular homicide. So she was arrested in November of 2022. She's clearly abusive. She's an abuser. If everything that you are laying out here is true, and I assume that it is, then she is abusive. Was there any evidence that he was also abusive, that there's mutual abuse, or was it pretty much stemming from her directed towards Dominic? It's always hard to say because we don't know what happens behind closed doors. But given the evidence we have, it seems as though Mackenzie was the primary abuser in the relationship. Okay. Now, Mackenzie opted for a bench trial. For those of our listeners who don't know, a bench trial is when you waive your right to a jury trial and you just have the judge being the one to issue a verdict in a case. Do you think this is a good idea for her or what do you think this strategy was about? Well, People go for a bench trial sometimes when they don't think they're going to have the sympathy of the jury and they're hoping that the judge is just going to go based on the law and the facts. You know, someone who knows the law a little bit better Mm -hmm. when they're concerned maybe about jury nullification or the jury being sympathetic. Mm -hmm. So I understand why she might have gone for that or why her attorney might have suggested to go strictly in front of the judge. I don't know how sympathetic a jury would have been when they heard the evidence of you know, a pattern here of violence and seeing the evidence that you've laid out, especially seeing it clearly that she had her foot on the accelerator, that she was going 100 miles per hour. This seems very intentional. So I think Mm -hmm. that they were hoping the judge might see it a little bit differently, very specifically pointed to facts of the law. Yes, I agree. I think this was a good strategy. I, too, don't think a jury would have been very sympathetic to her. Now, we'll see if the judge was, but we'll have to wait a moment for that. Now, at the trial, the prosecution argued simply that Mackenzie meant to crash the car and she intended to kill the passengers. Many suspected that she wanted to die by suicide herself, but the judge mentions at some point that that's irrelevant to the charges against her. And the intentions that she had for the victims. Yeah, I understand that point. The prosecution's main piece of evidence, of course, was the findings from the forensic mechanic, specifically the fact that the brake pedal hadn't been used at all. They also showed the surveillance video of the crash, and it indicated very clearly that there were zero signs of the vehicle trying to slow down. And I did mention this video earlier, but I don't think I said that you can see it on our YouTube channel if you're interested. Now, I do want to tell listeners that you don't actually see the crash, but you can hear it. So you might want to watch it on, you know, um, on silent if that's not something you're interested in hearing. The prosecution talked about how Mackenzie was determined to end her tumultuous relationship with Dominic and that Davion was just, quote, collateral damage. 
So it seems as though maybe Davion just wanted a ride home. And to Mackenzie, it simply didn't matter who else was in the car. She was going to do what she was going to do. I just can't wait to hear what the defense is. Before we get to the defense, the prosecution also posed that something likely snapped in Mackenzie that day and that she was determined to end her boyfriend's life. In other words, they believe it was premeditated as well. Oh, okay. They also brought forth evidence of Mackenzie socializing, going out to concerts, and having fun right after the crash. This reminded me so much of one particular case where the media just could not stop taking pictures of this woman out partying and having a good time. Casey Anthony. Yep. You're like, come on. Yes, of course. Casey Anthony. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's a no brainer. Okay. It reminded me so much of that case in that they were trying to show that there was zero remorse or guilt over what happened and that she was just going on with her life. In fact, she was even happier maybe than she had been prior to this. Okay. And you know how I feel about this. Yeah, I don't know that I would judge that as strongly. Like To me, that's not direct evidence of her guilt, but I I do understand it doesn't paint a nice picture. Yeah, I don't think that this kind of, quote, evidence should be even allowed. I don't think it's relevant personally, but everyone has their own opinion. Yep. In addition, prosecutors found that there was a security video from a few days prior to the crash, and this video showed Mackenzie's car taking the same route that she did the day of the crash. Now, why would this matter? They're trying to show that she planned it. She was trying to test out the route. Yeah, because Alameda Drive was a dead-end street that led to an industrial complex and office buildings. So they couldn't find any reason why Mackenzie would go there other than to, like you said, to kind of scout a location for the crash ahead of time. I think this is a little bit of a stretch, but... I, I think it's a little bit of a stretch, too. It's also possible, like, the kids hung out there. That's when they would, they would like, go down a dead-end street to smoke pot or whatever else they're going to do. I think there's any number of explanations that could support that. And so far, that doesn't really show premeditation yet. Okay. Throughout the trial, the prosecution also discussed Mackenzie and Dominic's relationship history in detail. They had several eyewitnesses that testified to the abuse that Mackenzie put Dominic through. And this was trying to say that there was this motive and a background for why Mackenzie decided to crash the car that night. Okay, I understand the prosecution case. What is the defense here? Are are they saying that she just didn't intend to do it? This part I don't remember. Okay, so before I get to the defense, I want to know, do you think Mackenzie testified? I think she has to, but I don't think it's a wise move. But I don't know how else she could explain. I think she has to. So I put in my notes the same thing is I think she absolutely has to, but she does not, Megan. She does not testify. And I I kind of get why once you start looking at, you know, because she does talk during the sentencing. So you get a feel for her. But basically her attorneys said that these events were one sided and that the very emotional, volatile fights between her and Dominic were mutual. And it was not just her being violent towards him. So they're just trying to establish reasonable doubt because they're saying, is it possible that one of the other passengers in the car intended for this to happen? Is it possible that there was a medical incident? Is it possible the car malfunctioned? So they're just saying that the prosecution, although they could set up this pattern of behavior, they could not accurately determine if Mackenzie meant to crash that car because they were not inside that car and therefore they do not know the circumstances that happened before that crash. So they're not disputing the findings of the forensic mechanic. They're simply saying those findings can be explained in other ways. Yep. Was there evidence in her toxicology report that she was under the influence? That's a good question. So she does admit to smoking pot that night. 
but I don't know if her THC levels were tested at the hospital. I'm assuming they were, but they were not made public. Okay. The defense was leaning on this idea that it's possible that, you know, Mackenzie just blacked out in the car before the crash because Megan, she says she just doesn't remember anything. She says she did not purposely crash the car. She does not know what happened. She's leaving it at that. Okay. She passed out or blacked out somehow. I do I do find this to be interesting because although unlikely, you know, this introduces the possibility that somebody else in the car got angry and I, but she was in the driver's seat. I don't think it indicates anything about the other passengers. What I think it, the only possibility that I, the real only possibility I would see is that there is something that happened. Did she black out? Was there something happening with her either, you know? Mm -hmm. Like a medical incident of some sort. Uh, yeah, biologically, uh, anything that's relative to her. I really don't believe that this implicates the other passengers at all. I don't think so either. However, I do think it's a decent defense strategy. Oh, yeah. To just bring up the fact that without being in that car, you simply don't know what was going on. Sure. You have to work with the case that you have as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're working with what they have. So the trial lasted four days. But despite the defense's arguments, Judge Russo, which is no relation to Dominic Russo or his family, the judge found Mackenzie guilty of felonious assault, aggravated vehicular homicide, drug possession, possessing criminal tools, and murder. Wow. Those are a lot of charges. So that seems confusing that she was convicted of four counts of murder when there's only two victims. We know things run differently in different jurisdictions, but I think the reason why here, it was confusing to me at first because I thought, well, the murder should supersede, you know, the top count of murder should supersede the lower counts of murder. and. In fact, they do. So while she's found guilty on different counts of murder, two different counts of murder for each victim, the top count is the one for which she's going to receive the sentence. So she's not going to be sentenced for two types of murder. She'll be sentenced for the top charge murder for each victim. So there's a drug possession charge as well. Is that because she admitted to smoking marijuana or was there drugs found in the car? They did find uh, mushrooms nearby. They did not find that she had any in her system, but there was like a scale and a bag of mushrooms, I guess, that she had in the car with her. Okay, that also could have been someone else, but I understand uh, when you're in possession of the car, too, I think there's an assumption that it belongs to you. I mean, I don't think that really matters in the grand scheme of what she's found guilty of. Mm -hmm. So what's the sentence for Mackenzie? I don't know. All right. So before we get to the sentence, I want to take some time to talk about the actual sentencing hearing itself. OK, so this took place on August 21st and the victim's families all spoke about Dominic and Davion and the extreme loss that they felt as a result of Mackenzie's actions. And it is heartbreaking. I listened to them all and you could find them online if you're interested. But first, you had Davion's family spoke at the hearing and his mother claimed that he did not have a clique of friends because he was a friend to all. He had dreams of opening up a barber shop in the future. And she spoke about how she adopted him and his sisters. The world, she says, lost a truly special man and my girls lost their best friend and their protector. Awful. Davion's sister also spoke about now that her older brother was gone, she felt like she couldn't move forward and that she was stuck. She also asked the judge to give the longest possible sentence to Mackenzie. Then you had Dominic Russo's mother, Christine, speak. She stated at the sentencing that nobody wanted Mackenzie to be punished for this accident. But throughout the trial, it has been proven by science and other evidence that Mackenzie did, in fact, murder her son and Davion. She also thanked the police for seeking the truth about her son's death and not accepting that it was just a tragic accident. 
you know, she was very close with Mackenzie. Mackenzie lived with them, right. and she thought of Mackenzie as a child. In fact, she said that she lost three children that day in the crash yeah. because, you know, her son, her son's friend, and also Mackenzie. Yeah. Something I found interesting, which I'm curious if you find this, how relevant you think this is to a victim impact statement. In her statement, she explained that Mackenzie's mother, Natalie, said to her right after the crash, she had called her crying. And at this point, they knew that Davion and Dominic were deceased and they were worried about Mackenzie's life. And the first thing Natalie said to her was, don't pay attention to everything they are saying about Mackenzie on Facebook. What did they say? Were people initially just pointing to her guilt right away? Yeah, people were people were pointing to her guilt, saying, like, I'm not surprised this happened. I saw this coming. So Dominic's mom says, my son is dead. His friend is dead. Yeah. And you want to know about, and you're talking to me about social media. So this really rubbed her the wrong way. I don't know that it had a place in victim impact statements. It's very insensitive and it's tone deaf uh, at the very least. I, I agree. And if you listen to it, the tone of Mackenzie's mom is off-putting when she later speaks. Right. But um, before we get to that, Dominic's older brother, Angelo, also spoke. And he said that Mackenzie is the most selfish person he knows and that she killed Dominic over fear of losing him. And unfortunately, Davion was just in the wrong place. At the sentencing hearing, the prosecution also showed the judge that Mackenzie sent messages to a modeling agency while she was in the hospital recovering from her injuries. And her mother had also communicated with this modeling agency. So what happened was a modeling agency apparently commented on one of Mackenzie's posts, asking if they could use it on their social media. And then Mackenzie's mother wrote back saying, hello, this is her mother. She would love if you would use that. She's actually been trying to contact you guys for PR email. It was a tragic accident, and she did not purposely mean to put an end to any of their any of her close friends' lives. This is just as painful for her as it is for everyone else, or maybe even a little more painful. Yeah, I mean, again, this is really insensitive. Very. I wonder if her mother is going to come into play here at all when we are talking about why this happened, or if her upbringing, anything. I mean, her mom doesn't quite sound like she also grasps the reality and seriousness of the situation. So perhaps she wasn't necessarily the best parent at the time for Mackenzie. Yeah, she's probably in denial, of course. Her her daughter just killed two people and was in this accident. Uh, Mackenzie also commented from her hospital bed to the modeling agency saying, thank you for the comment. I would love to work with you guys. I've been emailing you. It's such a great opportunity. So they're just saying that, you know, this girl's not remorseful. She's moving on with her life. They also showed pictures of her dressed up at a concert in a wheelchair, and this was shortly after the crash. Well, she could also be in complete denial. She could have a break. Like, yeah. there's a lot of reasons. Again, it seems it's very off-putting, and it seems really insensitive, mm-hmm. but we don't know exactly what was going on. And I don't think that's uh, proof or evidence that should be necessarily considered when determining the appropriate sentence. Yeah, because you also have Mackenzie's loved ones who's saying she was in a deep depression and she finally left her house yeah. because her parents urged her to go out and then, you know, this picture shows up. Sure. And the prosecution also played some of Mackenzie's TikTok videos, including one where she took a video of herself with a narration over it that says, quote, I'm not even cool. I am just one of those girls that can do a lot of drugs and not die. Now, why is this relevant? Well, the prosecution alleged that this shows that Mackenzie had an invincible attitude and did not think anything bad could happen to her. I wouldn't give much credence to that either, but okay. And then lastly, they showed pictures of her having fun with her friends on Halloween, which was just three months after the crash. So again, the prosecution is just trying to illustrate how, you know, she moved on so quickly 
that she did not seem to think at all about the victims and she was not grieving. They said that she cared more about her modeling career and her social media appearance rather than mourning the death of her boyfriend and friend. So then Mackenzie's mother spoke next at the sentencing hearing and many people were quick to judge. She would turn around to speak directly to the families and she did state that her heart was breaking for everyone involved and that she truly missed Dominic. Throughout her statement, she kept saying okay at the end of every sentence, kind of like, he was a part of our family too, okay? So it just came off a bit harsh to the people who are watching the trial. Sure. I mean, this could just be a tick of hers or just the way she speaks. But unfortunately, to many people, it made her seem almost defensive. Like, we loved him too, okay? Kind of like that kind of feeling. Or she might have really been defensive. <laughs> yeah. Natalie said that the deaths of the two boys was a tragic accident and Mackenzie has absolutely no memory of it. She asked the judge not to have the sentences run consecutively and instead to have them run concurrently so that Mackenzie would have the chance at parole. This seems so like tit for tat, but she claimed, contrary to what Christine Russo said, that she never said anything about social media when she spoke to her after the accident. Now, if I was her, I would have just left this alone. It sounds so petty to just go like tit for tat like that. It's not a good look. Mackenzie spoke at the sentencing and she said she was sorry and that she would have never let this happen or do it on purpose. And she said, quote, I wish I could remember what happened. I'm just so heartbroken. So basically, Mackenzie's just saying, like, I have memory, like getting in the car and then I woke up in the hospital. Like she says she just has no idea. One thing I should have asked you earlier, does she have any history of medical conditions, blackouts, seizures, anything of that sort documented. So her mother says she did, but they could not find any medical records. So her mom blamed it on some, I don't even know, some elusive health condition that no medical doctor was able to speak to and it was not in her record. So if she did have something, no, that's not. it was never diagnosed. That's like Cindy Anthony telling the judge that, or the jury that she searched for mm-hmm. chlorophyll when really it was chloroform yeah. or something. That that does not hold weight. Yeah. So, you know, the judge was really harsh to Mackenzie. At the hearing, the judge said, quote, there is only one person responsible for the pain of everyone in this room, and that person is you, Mackenzie. Nobody else is responsible. Mackenzie showed a lot of emotion. Now, what do you think? Do you think the judge showed her any mercy? What kind of sentence do you think was handed down here? No, not from what you said. I'm going to say it's pretty harsh. I would say life or close to a life sentence, maybe 30 years plus. We're talking about murder. So you might find the sentence a bit light then. Mackenzie Shirilla was sentenced to 15 years to life for the murder of Davion Flanagan and 15 years to life for the murder of Dominic Russo. However, they could be served concurrently to one another. Okay. Which means that Mackenzie will be eligible for parole after serving 15 years. I would have thought it would be 15, 15, you know, 30 total. But yeah, so I guess that was light. Based on what the judge found Mackenzie guilty of, I would say that that was kind of on the lighter side. And the judge acknowledged that. It seems that the judge went against what maybe people wanted, but was trying to soften the blow by saying she does not believe that Mackenzie will actually get parole after 15 years. But of course, that will be up to the parole board. Yeah. So if she takes responsibility, if she shows remorse, if she spends her time wisely, there's a very good chance she will be out when she's in her early 30s. Okay. I'm I'm processing that for a minute because Mm -hmm. I know we're going to be coming to our opinion soon. So Mackenzie is currently serving her time at the Maryville Women's Prison in the Ohio Department of Corrections. And again, she will go in front of the parole board in 15 years and we will see what happens at that time. Hopefully, Megan, we will still be doing this show and we could provide an update in 15 years. Can you imagine? (laughs) 
Yes, I can imagine. I hope so as well. I'm sure we'll evolve our show in different ways, but I, I do hope that we are still doing it. Amy, I know you said this before, but can you just remind me how old Mackenzie was at the time of her offense? She was 17. Okay, thank you. So Mackenzie and Dominic's difficult relationship was clearly a big part of her trial and quite possibly the motive for the murder. So this case brought up a lot of conversation about the dangers of dating violence and domestic abuse. Now, Dominic Russo's sister said in court that many people do not see the dangers of domestic violence because it often happens behind closed doors. Dominic and Mackenzie were definitely in a violent relationship, and unfortunately, young adults often don't know how to handle these types of situations. And we saw on different times Dominic reaching out to people in his life for help. Again, we can't blame anyone, but it seems like he was failed a little bit along the way because he was brave enough to ask for help, and sometimes victims of domestic violence don't even ask for help. Right. And fortunately, I think it also when the victim is a male, even though we do acknowledge male victims now much more so than we did historically, I still think it's not taken quite as seriously. I would agree. Before we go any further, I just want to say to our listeners, if you or anyone you know is dealing with domestic abuse or dating violence, there are some resources such as the National Domestic Violence Hotline and the National Dating Abuse Helpline. Both of those will be in our show notes. So both of the people involved here might be victims and perpetrators of dating violence. But of course, we can't know what goes on behind closed doors. And again, what we do know is that Mackenzie was the one who was initiating this violence. But remember, we don't know much about Mackenzie's upbringing. Is it possible that she came from an abusive background? Is it possible her family never taught her how to properly handle strong emotions or how to deal with conflicts within her relationship? I mean, she was a child, 17. She's on the cusp of adulthood. But yeah, I don't think we could ignore the fact that she was also not given the tools she needs to properly deal with strain. So, Amy, it's hard to determine, you know, the causes of this behavior without knowing much more about Mackenzie's background. But aside from the actual crime here, her actions prior to that indicate that she really didn't have healthy coping mechanisms. She was not able to, it, it seemed, deal like in a healthy manner with her anger, her stress, sadness. So I think that's something that we should consider here without knowing the origins. She's a 17-year-old who does not seem prepared for handling her emotions or really kind of real life situations or stress. Yeah. And who knows what was going on at her home? Remember, she was living with her boyfriend's family. 17 might be a little young to be, you know, I don't know if she was trying to get away from something going on at home or, you know. I would have to imagine that there was some reason that she was living outside of her home at 17. That's not usually the norm if your home is a, a sort of a happy one. I'm not saying it wasn't, but I would imagine there's something we're missing here. Yeah. And I do think, you know, speaking about Davion, I think he was maybe just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Clearly, Mackenzie had complete disregard for his life, Dominic's life, and even her own life. But as the judge did say in sentencing, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the judge did say during sentencing that whether or not Mackenzie was looking to harm herself during the commission of this crash, that's totally irrelevant to the murders of the other two passengers. Seems like you already gave us your opinion as well. You said clearly she had a disregard for the lives of other people. So you believe that it was intentional. Well, I... I don't know, Megan. I think I think it's hard to know because I do think there could be other explanations for the crash. I'm not saying she shouldn't be punished for the death of these two innocent victims. However, I think it is possible that she blacked out. Could it have been a medical condition or maybe temporary insanity? I would be really interested in the toxicology report. 
I'd be very interested in understanding, is it possible that there was a car malfunction? Because as far as I know, there was only one forensic mechanic. I've heard of cases where cars have accelerated without people doing anything. It doesn't seem like, it seems like that's a stretch here, but I think there might be a little bit reasonable doubt. Yeah, I think there's possibly some, but I will say this. I think she's guilty. Yeah. I think that it was intentional. And I don't mean that, I don't think it was premeditated in the way the prosecution's saying. I don't think she spent weeks scoping out a spot or anything of that nature. I think that's a stretch. But what I do believe is probably likely that she intentionally drove that car into that wall without a regard for who was going to get hurt and who wasn't. Yeah, it's it's possible she was under the influence. And so maybe that clouded her thinking. But you're right. It does. The evidence does lean very heavily towards the fact that Mackenzie knowingly, purposefully crashed the car into the wall. Yes, I think so, unfortunately. So do you think this system got it right? What do you think about 15 years? That's a tough one. You know what? That's actually tougher for me because I, I have I will give her consideration because she was 17 years old and I suspect there was something going on at home. I, I do suspect there was something wrong in some way with Mackenzie. So while it seems light and while I usually probably go a little harsher, I think it's maybe appropriate to see how she ages. You know, she's a she's going from essentially a child to an adult. So I think it's appropriate to consider parole maybe, yes, at 15 years, given what she does with her time and also how she comes to terms with what she did and what type of responsibility she takes. Mm -hmm. I think it's, yes, a little on the lighter side, but it it's acceptable, I guess, yeah. to me. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very difficult to determine premeditation. And I think 15 years for more like a second degree murder where it's not premeditated is a little more fair. But I agree. I'd be interested to see. I think there's a very good chance that she could be rehabilitated and that she can get out in her 30s and, you know, lead a law abiding life. I'd like to see her maybe giving back to others in some way. I was just going to say that I would love to see her do one of those things as well, where she comes out and she does publicly acknowledge what she did and maybe even acknowledges the, you know, uh, the very real consequences of dating violence, yep. of abuse, maybe acknowledges that women can be abusive too. If she has some educational value later on, I, I would love to see that because mm -hmm. then I think they're, you know, like you said, people are redeemable. Yep. All right, Megan. So I would love to hear from our listeners. Let me know what you think about this case. As I said, it is a bit polarizing so I'm curious where our listeners land on this. Although I have a feeling that most people probably landed where you landed. Oh, you never know. And I respect, I, you and I differ on our opinions at times, and I respect that difference. Um, I certainly can respect other points of view on this one. It's a complicated case, and I see why it was polarizing. Mm -hmm. Again, in the end, all that we can hope is that she serves a sentence and she becomes rehabilitated. Yes, and hopefully the victim's families are able to feel some sense of closure and peace in the sentencing. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening today. And thank you, Megan. And we will catch you all next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga, edited by Jose Alfonso. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime.
Sources for today's episode include Law and Crime, The Netline, NBC News, WKYC, and Cleveland 19. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.